right, Luke chapter 1, 78, 78 and 79. And let me see, to give you context, I'm going to just start in 67. Okay. This is Zacharias, the father of... 67. I'm going to start in 67, yes. And just come down to give you more context. Because we're kind of starting it towards the end. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67. This is Zacharias, father of John the Baptist, speaking here. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in, in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, I love it, speaking to his son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. So we'll be looking at Zacharias and we'll be looking at his joy as he's given this prophecy about the Messiah, who he would be and his son. And there's three words, I would say, that was at the heart of Zacharias' joy here. Those three words are hope, peace, or shalom, and grace. These three words are at the heart, I would say, at the core of Zacharias' joy. And if they were at his joy at the birth or the coming of the Messiah, then they should be at the heart of our joy when we think about Christmas and the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, to get to the heart of Zacharias' joy is going to require a brief history lesson and historical context. Because if you want to get to the heart of Zacharias' joy here, you have to get into the mind of Zacharias to see what he was dealing with and how he was feeling. So we're going to have to go into a little bit of history and look at the historical context so we can really get into the heart of his joy here. So when Zechariah is referencing Isaiah 9 in verse 78 where he says, from which the sunrise from Ohio will visit us down to 79 to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, it's not just a spiritual reality here that Zechariah is talking about. I know we, we like to spiritualize things and, and there is a spiritual component here where Israel was walking in spiritual and, and moral darkness. They were sitting in darkness. They were sitting in the shadow of death from their moral and ethical behavior. So that is true. But outside of this spiritual darkness that Israel was facing, there was also hard times for Israel. They were in this real darkness. And to understand this darkness, let me give you the history. So if you go back to 597 BC, right? The Babylonians conquer Israel. They conquer Israel. 
They take over Jerusalem. They force the people of Israel into exile. They kick them out of Jerusalem. They are exiled to Babylon. I mean, they're kicked out of the land. And from there, the people, they stay in Babylon. And after some time, the people of Israel are allowed to leave Babylon thanks to Cyrus the Great, right? Cyrus the Great, he makes that decree and the children of Israel are remnant. They go back to Jerusalem. And they go back to Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild the temple. They begin to rebuild the wall thanks to the leadership of Nehemiah, which you can read about in the book of Nehemiah, and Ezra. They go and they, they rebuild the temple and they rededicate. But here's the thing, the temple and the glory of Israel, the church there, or not the church, but the city, it, it never um, met its former glory. It never surpassed the former glory that it had. And so it, it never was like it would be. And then from this point on, even though they, they rebuild the city, even though they rebuild the temple, they're now subject to pagan king after pagan king. Jerusalem and, and Judea, from then on, from when they're released back out of exile to even to the point of what you're looking at here in Zechariah today, they're ruled by pagan king after pagan king, an unrighteous king, an unrighteous king. From Cyrus, then you have people like Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes in, he rules over Jerusalem and Judea. Alexander the Great comes in and he spreads the euangelion of Greece, the good news of Greece, and he brings in Greek culture and a Greek way of life which is antithetical or an affront to the Hebraic Jewish life. And after that, you had many of the, um, the priesthood that was coming from the line of Aaron, that got sold to the highest bidder. So that whole line got mixed up where people were buying the priesthood. Not only that, you had many of the Israelites, they kind of just gave in the Greek culture and Greek paganism at the time. The priesthood was just really corrupt. You had the Sadducees who on one hand were, were in cahoots with the Romans. They, they, they actually took on many of the Romans' lifestyles. So they said, I have my Jewishness here, but I also want some of this Roman Greek culture as well. So they would take on that. And then you had the Pharisees, on the other hand, who were so not the Sadducees, who hated the fact that all of Israel were going and taking on the Greek and Roman lifestyle. So because of that, they would put these heavy yokes and these heavy burdens upon the people with strict observance of the law. The problem is the Pharisees forgot mercy and compassion, which is why Jesus was always scolding them because they were bringing the law, but yet they forgot mercy and compassion. And the people of Israel really at this time when Zechariah is given this, this, this prophecy, they were really like sheep with no shepherd. The fathers had turned away from the children. So when Zechariah says that the people sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, yes, there's a spiritual reality, but he's talking also about the times that Israel is facing. And so you can imagine when the Holy Spirit comes to Zechariah and gives him revelation about the sunrise from on high who, who would visit us. What do you think he feels in his mind when he's seeing all this darkness around him? He's looking at all of his, his brethren of the faith just walking to, in paganism and in Greek and Roman culture. And now the Holy Spirit is saying that the sunrise from on high is going to visit you. You know what he's feeling in his mind at the moment? He's feeling hope. He has hope. Why? Because, see, this sunrise from on high that's going to visit us, that's a messianic prophecy. For example, if you go to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 says this. I just want to read this text to you. He says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healings in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. So the Jews understood Malachi 4.2 to be a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, the Messiah being the sunrise of righteousness. 
And so that, that's, what, that's the thought that's going through Zacharias' mind when the Holy Spirit gives him this image of the, the sunrise from on high coming to visit him. That's saying that's the Messiah that's going to come and make things right. You see another similar image in, um, in Isaiah 60, for example. In Isaiah 60, you read this. 60 verse 1, he says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, Isaiah 60 is on the tail end of Isaiah 59. And Isaiah 59 is where I, Isaiah is describing how the people were walking in darkness. They were walking in gloom. He said they were stumbling in, against walls. Why? Because they were doing so many wicked and unrighteous things. And that's what you find in, verse, uh, in chapter 59 of Isaiah, of Isaiah. But then in chapter 60, as you just read, you have God coming through. Even though they're walking in darkness, you have the God, the true living God of the world, coming to Israel and rising upon them he says arise shine for your light has come and the glory of God is rising upon you so what Zacharias is doing here with the son he's connecting the son the Messiah with the coming of Jesus so he's identifying Jesus as the Messiah as that coming light as that light that will shine upon the people in darkness and so that's what Isaiah is doing here by mentioning this prophecy by going back to showing how the people were sitting in darkness yet this light has come upon them See, he's connecting the Messiah with the sun that is rising. So you can imagine that Zacharias, he's given this, this quote, or as he's given this prophecy, he's filled with so much hope that, oh, all the things that the Old Testament prophets said, all the things that, well, he didn't say Old, Old Testament prophet, right? Because as a Jew, that's all you had. But he said all the things that the prophets said, now they're, they're coming to pass. The Messiah is coming. Things are going to change. So he has his hope now. He has his hope because of this revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's describing that the Messiah is now coming to earth. So you can imagine, he has so much hope. Not only does he have hope at this moment, knowing that the sunrise from on high will visit them, but he also has confirmation that his service to the Lord was not in vain. And what I, what I mean by that, that he has confirmation that his service to the Lord was not in vain? What I mean is this, in Luke Luke tells us in the beginning of Luke that Zacharias was a priest, right? But Luke also tells us that Zacharias was not like a regular priest. He tells us that Zachariah, him and his wife Elizabeth, were both righteous in the sight of the Lord and that they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Why does Luke even make this point? Why does he have to make this point that Zacharias was a priest and he walked righteously and blamelessly in the Lord? Well, because as I mentioned earlier, the priesthood at this time was corrupt. And so Luke is making the point to say that Zacharias was not one of those. He was not part of the corrupt priesthood, but he was righteous and devout. He was not hypocritical like many of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but he, he's making a point that Zacharias was not like them. Zacharias remained faithful to the Lord even in the darkness, even when a time when Israel was going astray, even when many in Israel and Jerusalem were going to Roman and paganism, yet Zacharias remained faithful. Him and his wife remained faithful to God even when God didn't give them a child, even when they would pray night and day asking for a child, asking for a child over and over and God never delivered, yet that did not deter Zacharias and Elizabeth from worshiping the Lord. They stayed faithful to the Lord. So you can imagine, as the Holy Spirit reveals to him that now, this is the time the Messiah is coming, the kingdom of God is coming. 
what was promised in the Old Testament is now happening. You can imagine that Zacharias is thinking, whoa, my days of service to the Lord are not in vain. It is happening now. God is coming through like he said. God is faithful. The Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is now upon us. See, that's, that's, that's the mindset of a first century Orthodox Jew, a person who's committed to the word of God. He was excited because now the Messiah would come and change things. Now, Zacharias, he, he didn't have an, any exact idea of what the Messiah would do. He had no idea what he, all he had was what the Old Testament prophets said. So he didn't know exactly all the things that Jesus would do. But what he did have was he had hope. He had hope. That's what the Messiah gave him. That's what the coming of the sunrise on high gave him. It was hope. It was hope that things would get better. That, that the people would be forgiven from their, from their uh, sins. That this coming Messiah would bring in the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God would go in and change things. That God's law would begin to rule the land. That God's justice would come in where all the wickedness was. That is the mindset of a first century Jew when they think about the Messiah. When they think about the sunrise on high. That he would come and he would begin to change things. That the kingdom of God would expand. That God's justice and laws and rules would begin to take over the earth. Which is why we have scripture like Isaiah 42, 4 that says this. The coastlands, meaning the, outer, the outermost places of the earth... They wait for God's law and instruction. It's like the whole earth is waiting for the kingdom of God to come, waiting for God's Messiah to come to change things. These are the thoughts that a person like Zechariah would have in his mind as he anticipates the coming of the Messiah. So Zechariah has placed his hope in the coming of this Lord, this sunrise on high. And that is one thing that we should also do when we think about Christmas, when we think about Jesus. It should fill us with hope. It should fill us with hope that just like Israel was in the darkness, yet the Messiah is coming, that Jesus, even though we're in the darkness, even though we go through deep times in our life, that we can still hope in Christ. That even though right now in our lives where we may go through tough times, just like Israel was hoping in Christ, hoping in the Messiah to come to change things, we should do the same thing, that the sun will rise on you no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, no matter how tough life is, you can still hope in the Messiah like these first century Israelites did. They continually hoped in Christ even when it was dark all around them. And that is the same hope that we should have. We should still hope and keep our faith in Christ. Even when things are not going right, we're still going to stay faithful and committed just like Zechariah was. He kept his hope in God. He kept believing that God would come through. He kept believing that the Lord's word, what he said to the prophets, the prophet Isaiah, to the prophet Micah, all of these Old Testament prophets about what the Messiah would come and do, the prophet Malachi, he kept his face believing that the sunrise from on high would come through. And church, that is what we have to do. We have to keep believing. Because think about Israel. They had to endure hundreds and hundreds of years of pagan gods. They had to endure hundreds and hundreds of years of corrupt rulers. Like I said, from Alexander the Great to Herod to all these different kings that would come and rule Israel at the time. Yet, they stayed faithful. Many of them stayed faithful like Zacharias. Even though it looked so dark around them, they stayed faithful, hoping that God would come and bring forth the kingdom of God. And we see that happening with Zechariah here. 
Even though it took forever, even though they had to go through so much toil, even though they had to deal with so many corrupt Roman leaders and Caesars and all of that, yet he stayed faithful. And so that is something that we must do as well. We must stay faithful, knowing that Jesus is still on the throne, just like them, still believing that even though it's dark, we know that he will make things better. And that was their hope that the Messiah would come and make things better. And that is still our hope today, that even when it's dark, we will continue to hope in Jesus, knowing that he will make things better. Now, our, our next word that we get at or that we see in Zachariah's joy here is grace and mercy. That's the next word that we see that's at the heart of Zachariah's joy here, grace and mercy. And some of you say, where's the grace and mercy you're seeing in verse 78 to 79? Well, guess what? The grace and mercy, this is key here, the grace and mercy that we see in verse 78 to 79 is in the visit. The grace and mercy that we see in verse 78 to 79, guess what? It is in the visit that God would come to a people sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death and shine his light on them. That God would come to those people. That light would come to darkness. That purity would come to impurity. See, that is the grace and mercy that God comes to us. That God comes bringing reconciliation, bringing forgiveness. See, that is the glory. That is the grace and mercy that God would actually shine his light on those sitting in darkness. What we see with the light shining is we see through the sunrise from high, we, we find a God who is seeking. We find a God who is inviting. We find a God who is visiting. See, it's, it's sunrise rising upon us, sitting in darkness. God did not have to do that, but yet God comes and he shows to his grace and mercy. He, he begins to shine his light on people sitting in darkness. See, that is the God who's seeking. We have a God who seeks. We have a God who goes to the darkness and brings his light. That is the God we serve. Think about Luke 15 and many of the parables there. In Luke 15, when you have the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling because Jesus is interacting with sinners, they're all mad, they're saying all these different things. What does Jesus end up telling these Pharisees and Sadducees who are grumbling because sinners are coming to Jesus? What he tells them is, or what he gives them is, he gives them the parable of the 99. He tells them the parable of the man having a hundred sheep and 99 are okay, but one is lost. And he goes and seeks out this one who is lost. And then the next parable after that, he gives us the parable of the lady who lost her coin. And she, she's searching all over the house for this lost coin. Do you, do you see from these parables, we find a God who is seeking, a God who's looking for the lost, a God who's coming towards us even when we are in the darkness, even when we have gone astray, even when we have sinned, we find a God who is constantly seeking I love that. You can even back up to Luke 14. Matter of fact, when there's a, the, the, the dinner of the, in the kingdom of God. And God, he goes and he sends his servants to compel the poor, the blind, and the lame, and those on the highways and hedges to come in to have dinner in the kingdom of God. Again, you find the God who is seeking, who's coming to people who are in darkness, who's coming to people who are broken. That's what we see with this sunrise from Ohio that is coming to visit us. That's what Zechariah says because of the tender mercy of our God from which the sunrise from on high will visit us. The sunrise is visiting us in the darkness. That's the beauty of the grace and mercy we find here in verse 78. It's God coming to us in the darkness. Do you remember when the sunrise from on high dawned on you? Do you remember when he visited you in the darkness? See, he visited Paul on the darkness on the road to Damascus. The sun rose on Peter while he was fishing. The sun rose on Nicodemus while he was uh, at night. 
The sun rose on Matthew while he was at work in a tax collector's booth. The sun rose on Peter's mother when she was sick with a fever. The sun rose on Zacchaeus in his own house. Remember, he was that corrupt tax collector. It was all these people in the dark. We find the sunrise coming upon them, not them even looking. God just going towards them. The sunrise raising on them. And that is the same thing with us. We all were in the darkness. Do you remember when the sunrise came on you? Again, because you too, like some in Israel, guess what? You grew impatient waiting on the promises of God. And you went and did your thing. Just like some in Israel who grew impatient and went and took on the ways of Greece and Rome, we did the same thing. Many of us, we went and just did the things of the world. But do you remember when that sunlight hit your eyes? Like when you lay down at night or you get up in the morning and remember that that sun comes through and it hits your eyes. Do you remember when that sunlight of Jesus touched your face? Do you remember when he rose upon you and you felt and seen the glory of God? Or do you remember when Jesus became more than just a religion to you? When he became more than just a blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy, but he became Messiah? Do you remember when he became more than just Sunday school and nursery rhymes, but when he became hope to you, but when he became mercy to you, but when he became grace to you? Do you remember when that sunrise came upon you in the darkness? That's what's happening here. That's what Zacharias is bringing us to. The sunrise from on high visiting us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's the grace and mercy in this. That's the grace and mercy of Christmas. That sunlight is coming to us. It's the birth of the sunrise to us who sit in darkness. That's the beauty of Christmas. Light is coming to us. Light is coming to a dark world to enlighten us, to show us the way. That is the beauty. And that is what Zacharias shows us here. And here's the thing about light. Generally speaking, everything looks better in the light, right? When the light dawned on us, didn't light begin to look different? When the light of Jesus shined on you, didn't you see people differently? When that light dawned on you, didn't you love differently? Didn't that light allow you to see things differently? Didn't that light illuminate paths that you didn't even know exist? Didn't that light bring passions and, and, and things that you didn't even know that were inside of you? From that light, you found that you had a passion for your neighbor. From that light, you found that you love your neighbor. From that light that shined upon you, you realized that you care about the poor. From that light that shined upon you, you realized you, you love the widow. You care about the widow. You care about the orphan. You care about the immigrant. Why? Because that light has come upon you. See, that light has shined to where now you love God. You want God. Why? Because you were in the darkness, but the light of God came and shined upon you. That is why you have these affections that you have now. That is why you are different now. That is why you give blessings instead of cursing now. Why? Because the light of God has shined upon you. You see things differently. You see the world differently. Why? Because of light. He's opened our eyes and showed us the path, which leads us to our third and final thing that we see at the heart of Zechariah's joy. It's the path, the path of peace. He says that the sunrise from on high will visit us, shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, because we're raising the more, I would say, American evangelical culture, anytime we see peace in the Bible and Jesus in the gospel, we immediately think peace with God. And that is the, at the heart of the gospel. It's peace with God. But that's not really the point that Zacharias is bringing here in verse 78, peace with God. He's, he's talking about a different type of peace, which involves peace with God, but that's not 
just it, peace with God. And, and how we know that he's talking about something more than just that is the words that we find here in verse 78. It's the word feet. He says that this tender sunrise from on high will visit us in 79 to guide our feet into the way of peace. What do feet do? Feet walk. And what does walking symbolize in the Bible? We talked about it in Ephesians 4. What does walking represent? It represents our lifestyle, how we live. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, what we've been studying. Ephesians 4.1. Paul says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling for which you have been called. And remember in Ephesians 4, 17, what does he say? Do not walk like the Gentiles. What does that mean? Do not live like the Gentiles. Let your life, how you are walking, don't let it be like the Gentiles. So the, the walk here that Paul has, or that, that Zachariah has in mind, is, is, is related largely to lifestyle and how you live. He said that the sunrise from on high is going to come and guide our feet into the right way of peace, the way of peace and how we walk, how we live. Another place where you can see this, this walking way of peace as a lifestyle is in Isaiah 59. Go with me here. I want to show you something. Isaiah 59. Uh, yeah. I should have had it open already, but I didn't. There we go. Isaiah 59. Marigi verse 3 to 8. Here the prophet in verse 3 to 8, he's going to describe people who do not know the way of peace. Remember, Zechariah says that this sunrise from on high will guide our feet into the way of peace. And so in 59, Isaiah shows us people who don't know the way of peace, the way of peace, which the Messiah will guide us to. So look at what he says here in 3.8. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehoods. Your tongue mutter wickedness. No one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs die. And from that which is cursed, a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. Verse 8. They do not know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. So we see what the way of peace. They're not walking in the way of peace. What he's saying, their actions, the things that they're doing, that is not the way of peace. They don't know the way of peace. And if you even scroll over to another chapter, verse 8, right next to it, 58, where Paul is, uh, keep saying Paul, where the prophet is talking about fasting, he also shows what the way of peace looks like here. Six and, uh, look at verse 6 and 7. 
Is this not the fast which I chose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and to hide yourself from your own flesh? So you see what he's showing us. You go from 58 to 59. The way of peace was what he says here, caring for the poor. Um, dividing your bread with the hungry, uh, not devising mischief, not walking and running to evil, not doing these things that bring destruction and, and shedding of innocent blood. He's showing us here the way of peace. So the way of peace that Isaiah is using it here and the way that Zacharias used here is using it in Zach, uh, Luke chapter 1 has to do with lifestyle, has to do with how we are walking, how we are operating and so th this is one of the things that has Zacharias so giddy. He is so giddy that this Messiah is now going to come and, and forgive our sins and also guide our feet into the paths of Shalom. That's why he's so joyful because he sees Israel all around him. Things are corrupt. Priesthood is bad. But now this Messiah is going to come and he's going to make all things right. He's going to guide all of Israel, all of the people into the paths and ways of peace. Paths of Shalom, having harmony with God, having harmony with one another, having harmony in mind and body and spirit that this shepherd is going to bring shalom. He's going to guide our feet into the way of shalom. That's what has Zacharias giddy here at Christmas. It's hope. It's peace. It's this Messiah that's going to come and change things. He's going to change the world around us and the people around us. He's going to restore us to God. So we're now we're walking in harmony with one another. We're walking in harmony. We're walking in shalom. That's what shalom is. Shalom or peace is not just the elimination of friction, but it's actually harmony that I'm walking in peace with my body, with my mind, with the people around me, with God. That is true shalom. And he said that this Messiah, this, this sunrise from the highs, he's going to guide our feet into the paths of shalom, paths of harmony. So you can see now why he's so giddy, why he's so happy, why he's so excited about this coming Messiah when you look at the current historical context that he is in. This Messiah is going to lead our feet on the paths of shalom. Which minds you of a shepherd leaving, leading his sheep. Do you remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 6 verse 34 when he's coming to the, to the shore? He looks out over the crowd and scripture says that he felt compassion, compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, this Messiah is coming to be the good shepherd who's going to guide his sheep into the paths of peace. Which reminds you of what? Psalms 23. Remember Psalms 23 verse 2? What does David say about the shepherd there in verse 2? What is he going to do? He's going to lead me besides what type of water? Still waters. What does still water represent? Peace. Calm. Shalom. Do you see the connection here of the shepherd coming, guiding our feet along the paths of shalom, guiding us along the paths of peace? That's what Christ is doing. That's why Zechariah is so happy. Life is going to change now. Why? Because the Messiah is here. Peace is now here. Harmony is here. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, my goodness, Lord. Thank you for your word. So my question, church, is are you following the good shepherd along the paths of peace? See, this is part of the gospel. Part of the gospel of the good news is not that Jesus came and died, but also that he's going to guide your feet into the paths of shalom, of peace, of harmony. That's why Zechariah is excited. 
That's why you should be excited because God leads us into peace. Christ leads us into peace. He leads us into shalom and harmony with one another, with God, with, with the world, with ourselves, with our mind. It's full shalom, peace. So Zacharias is giddy at the coming of the Messiah. He's excited about this coming birth of this Savior who's going to change the world, who's going to do what all the Old Testament prophets said. He's excited. That's the thing that has Zacharias happy at Christmas. And these are the things that should have us happy at Christmas. It should be hope because Jesus represented hope for the future. That's what he believed the Messiah would come and do, that he would come and change things, that God would reign, that Jesus would sit on his throne and bring forth the kingdom of God. So the Messiah Christmas represents hope because we have Jesus who is king, who is reign. And even though it's dark, we know he's still on the throne. So we still have a hope even when we go through tough times, even when life gets difficult, we know that Jesus still reigns. So we have this hope. So we have hope at Christmas. The coming of the Messiah, as I mentioned earlier, represented grace and mercy. That again, again, God would come to the darkness. That God would descend and come and shine his light upon us. And because he's already done it once, we know he'll do it again as we go through dark times in life. So Christmas reminds us of God's grace and mercy. It's the God who seeks the sinner. It's the God who goes in after the sinner in the darkness. It's the God who invites people to the breakfast or to the dinner in the kingdom of God. That's the God we serve, and that's what also Christmas reminds us of. And lastly, Christmas reminds us of the way of peace. The way of peace. Having peace with God, having peace with one another, having shalom, having mental peace in my body, just shalom in itself, harmony. Think about this. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were considered to be righteous and blameless according to the law. But yet, there was still a better way of peace that only the Messiah could give. They were committed to the law, but yet the Messiah could only bring them to this peace that only God can give. That's the beauty of Zacharias' joy here at Christmas. And this is why we should celebrate hope, peace, grace, and mercy. That's what we should see when we see Jesus in the manger. That's what he represented to the people of that day that waited for his coming. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the sunrise from on high. Thank you for sending your son to descend into the darkness and to bring, our light, to bring us light and to guide our feet into the way of peace. We thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you and you are our true living hope, God. Lord, as we go and we think about the day of Christmas when people are unwrapping gifts, Lord, may we remember this gift of you coming to us, of you giving us life, of you reconciling us to yourself through Jesus. May we remember this future that we have with you when your kingdom will come in its fullness, when we will reign with you forever, Lord God. And God, thank you for always being, for being there for us, Lord. When we go through dark times, God constantly descending and coming to the darkness to bring us to the light. We continue to do that work, God, as we go throughout our days. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Continue to bless us as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.